0: Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Today we're reviewing a film that has gotten so much attention. A lot of people are loving it. I've had people in my life text me and ask if I've seen it yet because they're just excited about it. Um, Today we are reviewing Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's film post The Last Jedi. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary?
1: I sure do. If it will load, <laughs> we're doing on, great. IMDb. There we go. All right. Uh, all right. A detective investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric, combative family.
0: Okay. And in true sweet fashion, our own summaries of *Knives Out*. Sarah, do you want to kick us off?
1: Sure. My summary is a whodunit written by someone who loves whodunits. <laughs> Very
0: true. There's a lot of like um, some self indulgence going on, which is makes for it's super fun. I love it. Mm-hmm. So my little summary was a stylish clue themed roller coaster ride with a generous side of unexpected social commentary. Nice. <laughs> okay, so initial thoughts on Knives Out.
1: I was really impressed that uh, it was a film like you could tell that Ryan Johnson loves whodunits. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was truly a it was both like a a celebration of the art form and the genre, and it was a really good entry into that genre which I really appreciated. And I, I loved all of the red herrings that they sprinkled throughout, so we can talk about that maybe after a spoiler alert. Um,
0: yes. Of I, all I, movies <laughs> to have spoiler alerts, this is one of them. Yes. <laughs> Top of the list. <laughs>
1: there, there's so much misdirection, and there's both um, obvious and subtle misdirection and I, I thought that that was truly artfully done. Um, I also loved the set and I, I love that there was so much to look at in every single scene. Yes. So I just wanted like a, a still of all of it. So I could just see everything that they had collected in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. This is a movie that you and I were both very excited to see from the minute we saw the movie poster. Um, Star Set a cast as well, which always um, is a plus. And then I was also kind of intrigued to see what Ryan Johnson's post The Last Jedi would be. Um, You know, you come off like a big franchise blockbuster and then. You know, it's it's intriguing to see what happens next. If there's an oftentimes a pattern where you've got a really creative director that directs something that's um, kind of their their money maker, and then the next thing right after that is often when the movie that they want to do. So um, we were very excited about this. I think I want to talk about the movie poster for hot sec because it felt like an attention grabber from. Um, the colors and the costumes that the folks are dressed in, it just looks fun and intriguing and appealing. Um, which most of the time movie posters are like a eh, reaction that I usually have. Um, I think the, the other really kind of interesting thing about this is that we haven't gotten It in, um, in a while. And so just inherently the the little summary of the movie and the premise is exciting and intriguing. So um, I didn't watch the trailer before going to see this, which I'm very pleased about. Um, but just from the movie poster and the premise itself, it kind of it sold me. Um, the movie itself is so smart and intelligent in a lot of ways. Um, I really want to talk about the humor because I, I, f- I really appreciated how quick and how subtle it was. There's few moments where we're really pausing for the funny moment, which um, if you've listened to previous episodes of Sweet, you know that uh, Sarah and I both love humor that is subtle and witty and intelligent and quick. Um, the other piece that I thought was really interesting about this is that inherently in a whodunit, the director and the creator needs to be smarter than the audience which um, is kind of an interesting challenge and I think this does a really great job of accomplishing that with the twists and the turns and um, all of that kind of stuff. We There's some things that we kind of see coming but how it actually plays out is what was exciting to see unfold. So lots to discuss. I The other Third thing that I probably should mention is the social commentary. Lots of really interesting things that Ryan Johnson has has weaved into this, which I did not expect at all. So.
1: Yeah, there were some moments where I was like, "Oh, surely we're not going there." "Oh, we're going there." "Oh, interesting." So, those some of those will be maybe fun to unpack a little bit.
0: Yes, agreed. I did not expected. I thought this was going to be pure fun. And it's pure fun with a side of uh, things for you to chew on. (laughs) So spoiler alert time.
1: Yes, big spoiler alert. If you have not seen Knives Out, stop the podcast right now. Don't keep listening. Go see the movie. We do not want to spoil this for you. It is a great roller coaster to experience blind Um, it really will keep you guessing and it's really fun to follow all the twists and turns. So do not keep listening if you have not seen Knives Out yet. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Much joy will be stolen from you if uh, you know who done it. (laughs) So where should we start? Goodness. What really is something that stood out to you a lot that you kind of want to start from?
1: That's a good question. Um, I I think for me, probably my favorite part was the misdirection and all of the little clues that Ryan Johnson left to make you think it was something else. Um, And so like one of the things um, Christopher Plummer says the line kind of offhandedly, and it didn't really make sense in the conversation where he talks about how people don't know the difference between a prop knife and a real knife. And then a little bit later, they show his actual death happening. And so in that moment, it's like, oh, well, it was a prop knife. So he's still alive. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize until later in the film that that little nugget is actually going to pay off in the very, very yes! end. So it was all of those little things. They're all important and they all play into the story. But you, you put them, uh, you think they point to the wrong thing. And so it was just so brilliant how he he weaved all of those into the story so strategically. I, I was really impressed by all those little red herrings peppered throughout.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a. I was thinking about this leaving the theater. It's an interesting challenge to do a who done it well in a film that is visual versus um, things that are playing out that you are reading because there's so many details happening on the screen that to ensure that the, the accuracy and the coherence works for every twist and turn is kind of an interesting challenge. Um, so things like her footprints in the mud and all of these pieces or um, showing the whether she was to turn before or after the landmark that Christopher Plummer's character gave her, um, going into the into the forest, and then later seeing that, um, what's his face, Ranson also had that same thought of trying to, um, you know, protect his own tracks as well. All of these pieces, visually in every shot, needed to be coherent and intentional and incredibly detailed in order for this to fit together well so that added visual dimension of a whodunit
1: was kind of exciting to ruminate on and especially today like I feel like we have so many viewers who are who are intelligent viewers who are trying to figure it out so like you (laughs) said like the director has to be smarter than the audience and nowadays and and I know there are a lot of people that go to the movie to the movies Purely for the roller coaster, but I know that there are also a bunch of us that will watch a Who Done It just to prove that they are as smart, if not smarter, than the director. So <laughs> to have somebody take on that challenge is is really impressive. So it, it was a bold choice, um, especially because it's it's just a single movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's not part of a franchise. It's not a sequel. Um, it is purely a standalone movie. So it was, it's kind of amazing that this movie even exists.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking about the moment in, uh, our motherless Brooklyn review where <laughs> you mentioned that you noticed the, uh, photograph of the mo- the father or the mother, um, of the character's name that is now escaping me, mm-hmm. like Brenda Laura Rose. Laura? Laura
1: Rose,
0: yes, sure. <laughs> And all those little details in the background of different shots matter. And for a movie that was not a whodunit and for you to pick up on all those details, um, how much higher is the bar for a whodunit where every little detail matters and is being inspected by the audience? It's a, it's an, it's a bold challenge that Ryan Johnson took on.
1: Yeah. And And the the little and big details that he included were were wonderful. Like it was it was really interesting to to go into it blind. You're not sure what you're gonna get. And then my other favorite part was listening to the audience too. I had a, a couple of ladies to my left. One of them was tracking along and she was picking stuff up. And then her friend that she was seeing the movie with had no idea what was going on. So (laughs) the friend who knew what was going on kept like leaning over and like filling her in on the details. And then the friend that didn't know would like (laughs) gasp, at these random moments, like, oh my gosh, that's what happened. Like it was, it was hilarious to listen to the audience as well. And they were completely invested in this movie and they were along for the ride too. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was accessible for everybody. If you loved Whodunits, if you were just along for a fun experience, it worked.
0: That was something that I had jotted down as something that was going to be really interesting for us to talk about um, in our review, is how wide of an audience this movie can appeal to. It's fun, it's, it's entertaining, you're on this exhilarating ride, and so it can appeal to the masses, but for the film nerds and the film lovers out there, there's also so much for them to feast on that of all ages and um interests this is a movie that is appealing and exciting for so many different types of people and there's a little bit for everyone in there that I was impressed I mean from a marketing and a money making perspective this is this is awesome for them right but um even just to see a film that can appeal to so many tastes and interests and types of people is fascinating i mean Older audiences, younger audiences, those that adore film and love to pick it apart and feast on all the details, and those that are just love to go see a popcorn popping, um, fun spectacle. This checks all those boxes.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were there were uh, there was a group of kids. There, I think there were like seventeen year old guys that that side, and then there were also some older people. Um, who were in my showing and both groups, when we walked out, they were talking about how much they loved it Mm -hmm. and how much fun they had. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's it's, it's, it's it's a smart business move in addition
1: to being so awesome in every other way. (laughs) I just, I hope that they don't try and make a sequel out of it as much as I would love, to see Daniel Craig reply, reprise the yes. role. I, I don't want them to make it a sequel. Don't turn it into a franchise. It's yeah. great. Let it be a standalone. That's enough. I'm taken back to
0: um, <laughs> a comment that you mentioned when we recorded the Spider-Verse. Sorry, There's all these mm. like connections I'm making to previous episodes. I don't know what's it's going great. on in my brain today. Um, I love it. But you had mentioned after we were reviewing Spider-Verse and your kind of closing thoughts that this was so good that you didn't want to see others replicate it but not do it to the same caliber. Mm-hmm. And I th- yep. I think the same thing definitely applies here. A It, the bar and the standard is so high that a crappy Done is just boring and it almost feels offensive. You as a viewer feel like, clearly it's obvious to me. Um why do you think I'm not getting it? Right. So, um, a whodunit inevitably has to, has to, has to, has to be smart enough to outsmart the audience. And when it's not done well, it just feels like a total flop.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think that's why, like when you have a good whodunit like this, like you have to respect it. And, and I, I know at least for for people our age, like we haven't had good whodunits Mm -hmm. recently, you know, like I grew up watching movies that were parodies of whodunits. So like Clue and, um, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Uh, oh, I had another example and then it went away, but Mm -hmm. like Clue is a great example. It's not a whodunit, but it's a, it's a parody of a whodunit. And I love Clue. It's a great movie, but like those are the things that we're used to. So to have a true whodunit that's also a comedic film, mm-hmm. but it it is a whodunit. It's just it's so special.
0: Yeah, I this film is so fresh in that way. I think part of it is the this the premise and the genre is is reawakened and it's it's newer for a lot of audiences today. But they're so much done that we haven't seen before that it was exciting to see something that felt fresh and authentic and um kind of embodying this like new energy uh i i haven't felt that way leaving a theater in a while and it was it was thrilling to to feel that way um as the film ended I think that was something else that I wanted to mention about the way that Ryan Johnson did this particular Who Done It as well is that there's kind of two two parts to the Who Done It. There's part one where we see that Marta is the one that's responsible, and that's kind of like Who Done It, kind of, who kind of done it. And then we know that there's a whole other hour to the film left, and so there's kind of this anti- anticipation of the next twist. Like we know that she, she's responsible for this piece of it, but that there might be more that's happening and that there's a lot of other um, strings that are still left untied together. So it was cool to see that there's part one and we kind of get that initial satisfaction, but there's this lingering anticipation where we get to see the momentum as we go into the final ending of okay who actually done it to set her up to actually commit the act and that was thrilling it was it was kind of a um the the anticipation and the acceleration is baked into the the timing of when things are revealed to us which is cool to see
1: and he set it up so strategically because you're you're rooting for for Marta, you yeah. like her. She's a good person, and she genuinely cares for this man, even though his family is just bonkers. And so, when you find out that it was her, then you're you're rooting against the detective, mm-hmm. which is also this interesting twist. Because like, you know, in a whodunit, you're following the detective, and you want the detective to find it, and they're going to find what's right, and they're going to un. Mm-hmm unfurl the tangled web of lies and all of these things but this you're going "Ah, I kind of want her to get away with it so Mm -hmm. that was an interesting twist uh within the genre yeah that again that
0: tension is inherently baked in because Mm -hmm. of the way we feel about the character and then also um what the objective of a competing character is it's it's really really neat yeah it kind of feels like we, too, are trying to cover our tracks and make sure that we're not discovered as well because we we don't want her to be found out either. And so, you know all of those scenes where she sees her footprint her shoe prints in the mud and she is trying to cover it up and you you feel this building tension, oh, is it gonna explode? And then it doesn't yet okay we've we've moved past that piece, and then it happens again with the the um piece of wood on the outside of the the house and like there's just building tension again and okay like we're safe now again but um it's that piece was really exciting yeah agreed i'm curious how you feel about marta's character because there's some interesting things that ryan johnson's done with her backstory um i'm curious what you thought about the whole she throws up when she lies thing. Um, <laughs> what were your thoughts about the way that he has constructed Martez's character?
1: I, I loved that she was smart and competent and compassionate. Like I love, I love the, that uh, the, the final twist was, she didn't kill him because she was so competent. And I, I absolutely love that. <laughs> like, no, <you> do. <laughs> we've talked about it a million times on here. If you're a competent character, if you're good at your job, I'm here for it. Um, and so I really appreciated that. And the fact that, you know, especially in this political and social climate that we're in in the US, that, you know, he made an immigrant woman the main character and she was so smart and compassionate and kind and good at her job. Like, I feel like that that was such a good choice for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not enjoy the throwing up thing. Uh, <laughs> did you I feel just, like it was a cop out? I, I liked the creativity of it and I like how we were able to see her lie. I like I like how, how it played into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like uh, throwing up. So, you know, <laughs> any kind of, like, bodily function, I don't want to see that. So uh, I didn't appreciate it, but I liked what it did for the plot. Mm-hmm. It added an interesting roadblock that... It, it really did. <laughs> it, and, and it's one of the more creative ones, that I, mm-hmm. I think I've seen. Um, it's like a reverse superpower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I I felt conflicted about Marta. I, I loved how clever she was in that middle section where she's really trying to figure out how to cover up her tracks. I loved every bit of that. Um, <laughs> and... The thing that I felt conflicted about her, which I know is kind of the point of the movie. So again, I'm like self-aware that this might be a me thing. But the whole like kindness always wins. She's kind of this really, really good character. There's a little bit of like a Ray situation happening here. Like it was heartwarming and sweet, but I I felt like, it was it, she was almost so good that it was like too good to be true to me but again this might say more about me than anything else and i think that this was kind of Ryan Johnson's overarching point that he was trying to make is is given the the political climate that we have right now the social climate this was kind of his his moral point that he wanted to make through the film so i get it but she was a little too good for me, I have to say.
1: You know that's fair. I I totally get that. In the end, for me, the competency just it it pushed it over the edge, so that I could be okay with how good she was. Mm, um, okay. I did. I so appreciated that moment of hesitation when the um, uh, the the housekeeper chick. She was like still alive or whatever, and uh, Marta had that moment of hesitation of, do I call for an ambulance or not? Like I appreciated that tension within herself before then she acted. So I think she had those little moments of, of second Mm -hmm. guessing or, Oh man, maybe I should look out for my own self-interest instead. And in the end she chose good. So it wasn't like, like Superman, who immediately always chooses the good, but it was this, like, there was some internal tension. And then she was great with her job. So, yeah. you know, wins all around. Yeah,
0: I get it. <laughs> it's like Ray; she's good at what she does. She's also, like, apparently juice making good decisions all the time. That's cool. I think we maybe need a little bit more of that um, in real life instead of on the screen. But um, I think what was really satisfying to see and made for a really good plot point was the reveal in the the ending scene that her competency um wasn't the thing that actually killed him I think that you saw her feeling of relief and taking the the lifting of the burden of guilt that I think she would have carried for the rest of her life and so I, it was it was a really nice moment that worked really well for like that ending scene where we we feel that satisfaction that, oh my gosh, I didn't actually kill him. So I thought that worked really well. that that again, another little twist and turn there that um, played into her character
1: quite well. Yeah, you could tell how much, and I like that that burden, kind of increased as the movie went along. Mm-hmm. You could see how much it was weighing on her. And then it, it wasn't just that she, she thought that she murdered that character, but she, she was also then concerned about her family and her family's safety. And then they were under threat, both because of her actions and because of the will. And you could see all of these burdens just piling up on her shoulders. So then that release was so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. and we were right there with her the whole time going, Oh, I don't want it to be you, Marta. I want your family to be okay.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about her backstory because that's something that I did not expect and was very pleased to see that he has chosen to weave in that, um, that's that piece into the story. Um, I, I thought that it helped elevate the stakes of her being discovered really, really effectively as well. It's not as simple as her just turning herself in and doing time for what she's done, but there's a whole lot more on her plate that she needs to think about when it comes to the decisions that she's making. Um, and I think that that responsibility and that burden is it was portrayed really, really effectively. I
1: agree. I agree. And an an interesting um, counterpoint I have heard made, though, is people who um, are either, um, you know, their their parents might be illegal immigrants or or, you know, people who are currently under potential threat of deportation have really reacted negatively to this film. And it was it was very, very triggering them to to watch a film like this where the threat of deportation was weaponized against a family like that um so I think that that's that's something interesting that I I hadn't thought of yeah. while I was watching it or while I walked away from it yeah I was I
0: was it was unexpected for me as well I didn't consider it from that angle but again it's one of those things that's it's film is able to be that centerpiece of discussion because we are able to check ourselves in that way um having not come from that story and that and to have that responsibility i think it's 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 powerful to read what other people think about it that are living this and dealing with this and to see this on the screen how does that make them feel i can try and guess but I it, it's Powerful to hear the thoughts that they have because it's one that I too, like you, didn't um, didn't cross my mind. But I can see how it can be interpreted as is this insensitive to display it in this way and to use it in a in a plot in a movie like the way it was.
1: And I think we talk about this almost every time on these episodes, but like that's you know part of the beauty of film is that I can with something as fun and comedic. And crazy as this film we could still have a deep conversation with somebody and go okay tell me your experience let me get to know you a little bit more based on how you saw this film Mm -hmm. it's it's powerful even in a whodunit (laughs) yeah even
0: in a film as fun and thrilling (laughs) as this there's still so much baked in but I mean that's that's part of the um the The challenge and the responsibility that Ryan Johnson's chosen to take, take on, like he didn't have to include that in there. Like, yes, there's some criticism for how he did it, but I kind of appreciate that he's even just willing to leave that in there and accept that there may be, um, a lot of thoughts and commentary and analysis on how he's done it. Um, cause he easily could have given her a, a simpler or a much more, um, neutral backstory. Uh, the other thing that we often talk a lot about on this podcast is the responsibility and the, the integration that the filmmaker has to pull in the people that whose stories are being told. Right. Um, we talked a lot about this a lot during our green book episode and, um, how you portray a people group or an audience or a narrative or a condition um, is it matters a lot. I, I remember Shape of Water got some slack for portraying the deaf in a certain way and what that's like, and so it's it's fascinating to see that inherently in art, there's a lot of opinions and responsibility involved. Um, yeah, oh, man. all.
1: A centerpiece for discussion. I haven't seen *Shape of Water*, and I didn't realize that there was a, a deaf component to it. Mm-hmm. Man, ooh, I'll have some strong opinions about that film. Oh, Jen. Yes. Oh. Oh man. <laughs> wow, I didn't. I didn't realize that that was part
0: of it. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh man. There was another one, another film. I'm trying to think of which one it was, but it portrayed a. Um, psychological condition and it got a lot of crap as well for portraying it inaccurately and a lot of people that dealt with that on a day to day basis felt mm-hmm. like they were misrepresented um, I remember Glass got a lot of crap for it as well mm-hmm. for, for kind of um, associating psychological conditions with uh, these villainous desires and motives and all of this kind of stuff and it portraying them as the enemy and weird and whatnot, and you can understand that. And it makes sense why that can be interpreted that way. The other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about um, kind of the negative uh, response to the some of the immigration pieces in this is how a lot of people in um, the Asian American community were responding negatively to the way that um, Bruce Lee was portrayed in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well which I yeah. I don't doubt at all that the original intention was never to be offensive, but just to include a little funny moment in there, give him um, a little piece of um, that scene with Brad Pitt. And I don't think that there was any ill intentions meant at all, but it has been interpreted as being um, offensive and dishonoring to Bruce Lee. So, you know, lots of People will always think what they think, but it's it's interesting to see the way that things can be interpreted on a wide spectrum.
1: Yeah, that's so, so fascinating. Everybody has a different experience, a different opinion based on what they've gone through and based on their worldview. And man, it sure does make for some fascinating discussions. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um. All right.
0: Other things that I think were interestingly woven in were this concept of class inequality, which is, um, I've heard this movie described as the fun roller coaster whodunit version of Parasite, <laughs> which I got a kick out of. Um, but there are some interesting, I think a little bit more subtle than the immigration commentary, but some interesting uh, things that the film wants to say about class inequality especially when you look at the way that the different characters respond to, um, wealth and what they believe that they deserve. Um, there's a moment, I think somewhere in the middle, early middle, where one of the characters, I believe it was Walter, um, says something to Marta along the lines of, oh, like, we'll take care of you when we inherit, um, the thorn bee wealth. And you see how quickly that shifts to no longer, oh, we want to take care of you, but oh, you need to give us what we deserve. And I'm now going to blackmail you and out your, your mother who's in the working Grant, all that kind of stuff. But um, it's interesting to see the way that the class system shapes what people believe that they deserve. And um, it trickles out and oozes out in kind of interesting and subtle ways in
1: what these characters say to each other. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating that there was the, the that concept of the discrepancy with wealth in this film. It wasn't I didn't feel like it was too heavy handed either. Mm-hmm. That you know when when you have wealth, you do have power. It's just the two are. Kind of connected in a lot of ways, especially here in America. So the fact that he was able to shine light on that and that concept and how sometimes that power is used inappropriately, um, very tastefully. And I, I didn't feel like he was, you know, shining a big fat spotlight on it mm-hmm. and going, hey, notice this thing. But it felt very, um, it made sense with all of those characters
0: it almost was so subtly done and so and so so not obvious to me that I was like wow this is just I guess normal to me now to like see that this character is responding in this way and looking for that power and I'm not even noticing it that explicitly you know what I mean like when he says that to her like oh we'll take care of you it's this total power dynamic um but only upon thinking back on it and thinking through all those little moments, I was like, "Wow, that's some subtle um, power dynamic and um, power bravado happening there." That I, it wasn't so obvious and in my face at the time, which worked really well. And I think it it shows that Ryan Johnson knows his characters well. Um, but it's also kind of interesting to see how how normal that was for me to see,
1: you know? Yeah, I. I think we kind of expect that kind of a character to just be the worst and just be a jerk and use his, his wealth and his power to try and demean somebody else. And yeah. so it, it, like you said, it was very, very fitting with that character. Yeah.
0: Agreed. And um, I think it, the, the larger than life characters worked really well for this kind of movie. I mean, it's it was exciting and, and thrilling to watch the different personalities parade um, from scene to scene. And it rem- I was thinking about this while watching the movie, but it reminds me of us talking about in a conversation one time, um, bantering about a, a, a premise that we would love to make one day for a film on um, different neighbors coming in and out of um, uh, an apartment building do you remember this? I don't know if you recall.
1: I don't remember this
0: if we were talking about a, a interesting concept where these different characters would peep in and out of kind of like a The uninvited dinner guest type of concept or premise with all these larger-than-life characters um, coming in and out of of this one apartment and this felt like that in a lot of ways to see the way that all of these colorful characters are playing off each other, interacting. It kind of feels like we threw buckets of paint together and just waited to see what would happen and what colors we would get uh, because each of these characters are so distinct and have such different emotions and um, motives that it was, it was really exciting to see all of them um, in this big show.
1: And that's exactly what it was. It was a big, gigantic show with the most colorful characters. Like, this, this film was 100% larger than life. And because the, the uh, Christopher Plummer character was so dramatic and so eccentric and he was so weird, the only thing that you could do is have a bunch of characters that are just as weird you know, if you have this elaborate house with all of these strange decorations and this, this very uh, intricate premise, you couldn't have boring characters. Mm-hmm. And so you need actors who are great at their craft, who can just go and have fun with it and just embody those characters like they did. And man, you are right, like painting with big, broad, bright strokes
0: and it works well, it works so well for the who done whodunit um, premise because you need each character to be a potential s- suspect. And so therefore they have to be kind of wonky enough to potentially have done it, right? If you have an average Joe or a normal Nancy up there, yeah. <laughs> it's boring. We're like, ah, they're not going to be one of the ones. But in this one, I think that the especially in the opening um, first third of it, Each of them has some sort of potential motive and they're all slightly um, off enough to potentially have gone through with it. Um, So the Larger Than Life characters work well in that way as well because anyone could be a potential suspect.
1: And I loved how they, they cut that night into all those little snippets of everybody's version of events and they were all different than each other. Which is so it's so human, uh, but you could see all of those characters' uh, capacity to lie to yeah, the detectives, I love that. and you could see how what really happened is actually a little bit different than all the things that they said. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yep. And I think it worked well that each of their um, ways of covering up what they've done or their beef with someone is all arising out of some sort of flaw or weakness that they had. So the, the lying made sense. They're not this evil murderer that was trying to cover up their tracks, right? There's there's some sort of a little bit of a weak side to them or a, a shameful thing that they don't want to be found. Um, and And that being the motivation for their lying, I think, worked really well. It's, it's human. It's human nature on full display, and then um, you up the saturation, and so all the colors are brighter. But at the root of it, it's just human nature having made some mistakes that they're trying to to
1: cover up, which we can all relate to. Oh, yeah, 100%. Even though they were grandiose and larger than life, you, can, you still know, oh, this is a very human reaction. Mm-hmm
0: yeah it helped make them a little bit more relatable so i'm curious what you thought about daniel craig's performance um he gets a lot of screen time in this um and for an actor that we know so distinctly as bond how'd you think he did
1: i i enjoyed the character i really really did um I think Daniel Craig was just having fun with it, which is great. Um, I, I didn't, I think I was expecting a little bit more Joe bang than yes. we got. So <laughs> I it, was thinking that exact it took me, it took me a little bit of time to like adjust. Um, but I, I loved how they introd that character where, <laughs> Lakeith Stanfield is in the foreground and he's questioning people. And you know, it's Daniel Craig in the background, but he's out of focus until he hits that note on the piano. And the fact that we go through a few different people, and that's our only introduction to him (laughs) is hitting the note on the piano until he speaks like that alone was brilliant. Um, So I think it was a, I think it was a fun character. I, it just took me a while to adjust to him. I had the exact
0: same experience less because I was expecting Joe bang more because he's in a suit and he's Daniel Craig. So I'm like, Oh my God, what is bond doing here? We're about to shoot up this house. Right? Like I think that's a challenge, um, that actors face when they play such an iconic character. I had the same thing with Chris Evans because I just kept seeing Captain America there, you know, and you're like, okay, he's not Captain America. This is not bond. We're in a different universe now. Um, but I mean, they're beginning to rebrand themselves, and they had a lot of fun with this one, so um i I think that he his character did he did well as Benoit Blanc, the fact that his name is Benoit Blanc is also just glorious. Um, but I think that there's so much more from Daniel Craig that I'm so excited to see more of, um right up there with Joe bang level uh amazingness that is going to be exciting to see I think he was a solid performance but I'm excited to see him have more to play with I think inherently the Benoit Blanc character is he it's, it's a little bit more straightforward um there's the bravado and he does that well um to give him as much freedom and um more room to do his thing the way that he could with Joe Bang is going to be awesome to see. I want more Daniel Craig.
1: Yeah. I feel the same way about him and Chris Evans that they're both such good actors and, you know, I mean, they've had good performances in their franchises as well, but I'm really excited for them to really branch out and be able to do other things Uh, I want to see more of both of them.
0: Agreed. Yes. Um, Bond, Daniel Craig has one more. So one more thing as Bond, and then he can really begin the rebranding process. The suit didn't help, I've got to say. You put Daniel Craig's face in a suit, and I'm like, well, this is Bond. There's a movie that Daniel Radcliffe did. It's a horror movie. I think it's called the wo- a woman in black it's a horror movie and he, he plays one of the protagonists that's like kind of caught up in this and the whole time I'm like you're Harry Potter like cast some spells, protect yourself fight this thing like what are you doing Harry? So
1: it's an interesting challenge for when you play an iconic character So speaking of which what did you think of Chris Evans as the villain?
0: I think that it was a good move for his career to play a villain, he's got that like all-American boy, and he's played Captain America for so long that um, it was. I think it was good for him to play a devious character. It I think also worked well because um, he has that beginning part where he is. Tr- he he seems like he's a little bit innocent right we're led to believe that's the case when he's sitting with Martha at the restaurant but um the fact that they were able to play with what we know about the character he often plays was really fun it reminds me of gosh it's gonna escape me it was in the latest spider-man movie what's the actor's name was it spider-man no it wasn't spider-man Oh, gosh. You can feel my... Uh, oh,
1: no. It was. Captain it was Far Marvel. From Home. Was it Well, from okay. Home? There, there were two different ones because yes. Captain Marvel was Jude Law. Yes. Far From Home was... Was that Gyllenhaal? Y- yes. Yes, yes, yes. But for sure, Captain Marvel was Jude Law. That was brilliant. And then Ben Mendelsohn was the good guy. It was... Yes. That was great. So good. Similar thing happening here.
0: And I think it worked well. I would say... Um, Performance-wise, similar sentiments that I feel about his performance as I do with Yano Craig when he's going to have more room to do his thing. I'm excited to see what he does with it. Um, inevitably, in this kind of like really fun whodunit um, type of movie, the characters are meant to be a little bit more um, thin and straightforward. So I'm excited to see what he does with a
1: little bit more room. What did you think about him? I I feel the same way. I thought that it was a brilliant casting choice uh and i i think that that was a little casting misdirection uh which is always great and i Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed because chris evans is funny uh and so you were able to see those comedic moments just with his timing and his delivery of things so like you i'm excited to see more
0: i think what was interesting about that character is that for the first probably 20 minutes of the movie, we don't see him yet. And so there was this inevitable um, question that I was like, where is Chris Evans? He, I know he's in this. He's smack dab in the middle of the movie poster. He's got to be important because he's not here yet. Um, so that was exciting to that they kind of delayed his introduction a little bit. We hear about Ranson and all this kind of stuff, but his real screen time doesn't come until – we're a little ways into the film. Into the film, so that was kind of cool. I didn't expect that as well.
1: Which I feel like you almost need to do right now because he's such a big star. So it's mm-hmm. not—it's not a film about Chris Evans. It's—he is one character in this whole chessboard that we got going. So we got to set up the whole chessboard and make you really invested in these other characters, and then oh, here he is.
0: Here's the like random rebel grandson Mm -hmm. he storms around you don't think much of it exactly yeah until (laughs)
1: plot twist
0: yeah yeah uh what else really stuck out to you
1: there was this one moment uh it was after the reading of the will and marta's whole world is just just shaken and she does not know what to do. And so she is trying to leave the house, but she's not leaving quick enough. And, and there's this moment, she just makes her way outside and the camera stops and then it changes its complete movement so that it feels like a paparazzi crowding her. And then you see all the family crowded around her. That was one of my favorite moments because it was, it was so brilliant that they were able to communicate panic and fear and and this claustrophobia with something as simple as changing the way that they were moving the camera
0: Mm, yeah 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 I'm trying to think back to that it's kind of escaping me a little bit I'm just was probably thinking about who the hell done it but (laughs) 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 I'll have to this would be a fun one to watch a second time especially to see to look for all the details again um mm-hmm. the second time around knowing how it all transpires so um, yeah
1: see and I want to watch it again for the opposite reason like I want to watch it again so I can really enjoy it because like the first one I the first time I watch a movie I'm dissecting it and I'm pulling it apart and it's like a it's like a science experiment almost like here are all the pieces and it's very very analytical and methodical and then like other viewings, then I can actually sit and enjoy the story.
0: This is an actually an interesting question that I often get um, from when I when I mentioned about the film podcast and how we, we watch and review and analyze films is the 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 question I often get is so every time when you watch a movie are you just analyzing it the whole time? Like do you feel like you need to have movies that you just like watch to enjoy? And <laughs> I'm like great thought and in theory yes my film professor um would always say the real way to watch a movie is to watch it twice the first time to go along for the ride the second time to analyze and see how they were able to convey all that feeling and emotion and um how they did everything or if you're sarah you watch the first time to analyze it the second time to
1: enjoy it but gotta do it the opposite
0: (laughs) i was along for the ride the whole time i'll have to (laughs) we'll swap (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I, I think the analysis is fun I know mm-hmm. that I'm one of the rare ones but it's it's like a game it's it's real fun <laughs> to try and figure out how did they put these puzzle pieces together
0: <laughs> yep and I'm the opposite I'm like I feel all these things now let me go back and see how they were somehow able to get me to feel that way <laughs> yeah
1: see this is why this works well exactly
0: <laughs> Um, I wanted to do a shout out for the humor in this movie because it's baked in so well. Um, a lot of it's so quick. One of my favorite ones is the, uh, how they, each family member kept getting her South American ethnicity wrong every time. Um, it's one of those things where it's, it was one little k- word in a sentence they're saying and yet strung together throughout. The, that gag keeps building on itself. Um, so I, I loved the subtle type of humor that wasn't all in your face that this, this movie had. It's, it was really refreshing. I I fully appreciated it.
1: And I so appreciated Lakeith Stanfield's face (laughs) anytime he was in a scene and he didn't even have to be, like, in the forefront of the scene. But his faces at what was going on around him were hilarious. I was like, I want you in every scene because this is gold right here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's one of those types of movies that is able to be so funny in so many small ways. Um, and it's funnier that way without the grand buildup to... The joke drop, you know. Um, it was just so great. Oh, loved it.
1: Yeah, it was. It was very smartly done, and it it felt uh, there was continuity with the rest of the film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. The humor didn't feel out of place or forced.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which in a whodunit, you. Almost can't lose that momentum. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think if they were to to have stopped for some of those funny moments, you know, you kind of like are taken in and out of um, this grand marching forward to the final reveal. I mean, and there are some moments where they really kind of give you a little bit of a pause, like the whole donut hole piece (laughs) was so great um, with Daniel Craig, and so they do give you like the little moment here and there to really sit in the humor but most of it was just along the way so anything else that you wanted to mention
1: last thoughts
0: on knives out
1: it in a lot of ways kind of reminded me of a play Mm -hmm. um i i definitely left thinking about like, I was having flashbacks to when I was in drama and how it was drilled into our brains. Like no matter where you are on stage, you need to be acting your entire body, your whole face, your whole being needs to be acting. Even if you're in an isolated corner and only part of the auditorium will see you like, that's what this felt like. Like no matter where you looked at any point in time, everybody was acting, everybody was fully committed to their role, Um, and there was so much visually to look at. There was so much visual interest, like you could watch this again, probably a couple times, and still not see everything that was in all of the scenes Um, because it was so rich, both the set and Mm, the the actors themselves. So it it truly was a feast for the eyes.
0: Yeah. And gosh, what fun you can tell that the actors are having throughout the whole thing. That was really delightful to see as well. They're just fully living
1: it, in it. It's great. Oh, yeah. Tia Leone, or no, that's not who it was. What is her name? Tony um, Collette. Tony Collette, yes. Oh, Tony Collette cool. was just living her best life. Like, so she. Great. She was just having a ball and it was <laughs> great to watch her do it.
0: Oh, then the the part that she mentioned um oh I read I read your tweet. I read the tweet from the New Yorker about that was so up to date and modern and hip in all the right ways. Oh,
1: so great. And then to be immediately followed, followed with the by. highbrow Jamie Lee Curtis going, "Well, this New Yorker article." Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. So good.
0: See, those little details just went a long way. Okay. Well, this was our review of Knives Out. It is still out in theaters. And this is one that's actually really, really exciting to see in theaters because you get to fully immerse in this world. The two hours and 12 minutes, 10 minutes, will absolutely fly by. Um it's a roller coaster ride. So we highly recommend seeing it. Really, really well done and refreshing new piece from Ryan Johnson. I'm really intrigued to see more from him and I'm also kind of excited to look at some of his other things that he's done. I think I haven't seen some of his previous work, so I don't know about you Sarah, but it could be fun to do um some more of his stuff. I think it's cool when That's you. That's exactly see... what I
1: was thinking. Okay, awesome. we need to do more Ryan Johnson films.
0: Yeah, in that springtime lull or that summer blockbuster season, we'll have to we'll have to dig up some of his pieces. Um, it's cool you get to see a a director and a creator that has done something so smart and intelligent and so artfully crafted, and it really does pique the interest to see. Okay, he's capable of this. What else has he done? So. That'll be exciting. All right. Well, we will be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, as always, remember to find and infuse a little bit of whimsy into your life or a whole lot of whimsy into your life. Gosh, Um, do something that you absolutely love where the time flies by while you're doing it and, and to take that burden and that pressure off of needing it to be quote unquote, productive or results driven. Just do it because you love it. That will carry you so much farther than any type of results driven approach may. So we will see you next week. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you soon.